I'd like to invite you to come back to your seats. We're going to get started. We have a lot to cover today. We want to jump in. I want to welcome you to Providence Road Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, We're honored that you would spend a Sunday morning with us. Um, I'm going to start by reading our text for this morning, and then we'll pray. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 12. Matthew 5, verse 1 to verse 12. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets. Who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful that when we come in here every week, we don't have to make up things to say. We don't have to come up with new creative wisdom or, or, or wisdom invented by man. That, but, but you've revealed yourself in your word. You've spoken to us in your word. So this morning as we walk through this passage, this fairly well-known passage, I pray you would um, help us uh, maybe see it with fresh eyes, see it for the first time. Pray that your spirit would a- allow us to, to, to reflect on it. And I pray that as a result of hearing it and, and processing the scripture this morning, that it would change us, change the way we live, change our lives when we leave this place. And we're so thankful for you and your son. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So last week we kicked off our summer sermon series where we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that we're going to cover this summer. And I said last week that the big question that Jesus is trying to answer in this sermon is, how does a human being go through life and experience flourishing, happiness, freedom, hope, all of those things that all human beings want, we, 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 we want those things. That's kind of the definition of the good life. We all want those things. And the Sermon on the Mount is giving us a pathway. It's giving us a way um, to, to flourishing. This is what um, the Bible is, is, calls eternal life, but it's also talking about um, how we live on earth um, and live these things out. And this intro to the actual sermon is what is often called the Beatitudes. This is found in in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, what we just read. And these are nine statements that all begin with the English word blessed. And they're about the kingdom and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Now, when a passage has a word repeated nine times in nine straight verses, it is important. 
It's important for what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to spend some time talking about and looking at this idea of blessed. Okay? So this idea of blessed, we need to go back to what, what was the original word here in Greek, right? We don't do this often here, but for this word, I think it's important to go back to the original here. And the original word is makarios. Makarios is that word. Um, and it, it literally means um, happiness or flourishing. Um, and the, 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 the translators were um, having a difficult time with this because if you translated happiness, if it was happiness as throughout all the Beatitudes, then you would, um, the, the, the word happiness is overused in our culture, right? It's overused, and usually when we mean happiness, we're talking about something surface level, something tied to our circumstances, kind of a fleeting pleasure. This is when we use the word happiness, this is usually what we mean. So the translators didn't want to use that word when they've translated into English. And the other word that, that, that Makarios really gets at is flourishing. And flourishing is a strange word. We just don't use it that much in English, honestly. And so they didn't want to go with flourishing because it just seems a little bit strange to use that word. So they went with the word blessed. They went with the word blessed. The problem with using blessed is that blessed, it means that there's divine favor over your life. Like that's what blessed means. And, and, and this is really not what this sermon, or especially the Beatitudes, are about. And, but, but the problem is the translators didn't have an English word that fit it best, so most of them use, uses bless. But let's look at this idea of makarios a little bit deeper. This is a quote that's on the screen from um, a, a commentator theologian named Jonathan Pennington. He says, um, a makarism, which is from the root makarios, is a makarios statement that ascribes happiness or flourishing to a particular person or state. A mockerism is a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being, notice it didn't say doing, a certain way of being in the world produces human flourishing and felicity. So what he's meaning here is when Jesus talks about these statements in the Beatitudes, these are statements of reality. They're statements of reality. They're not dependent upon our behavior They're not dependent upon um, some wishful thinking that we hope these things will happen. Um, They're dependent upon reality. This is our our king, our Lord, the one who came back from the dead, who rose from the dead, the one who was there at creation, who created everything we see, who created you and I. This is the one who's making a statement of reality. Jesus is saying, this is, my kingdom is coming It's actually here to some degree, but it's coming, and this is how it's going to work. This is how it's going to look. So when we read this, when we read through these, these aren't conditional. This is actually the reality of the kingdom of God. So when we read through these, they're not a list of virtues necessarily. There's some virtues tied up in here, but it's primarily not a list of virtues. It's not a list of commands. It's not a list of, of good things that we should try really hard to be about. Because if we, we set these up as virtues, we, we're still trying to earn God's favor and blessing. And that's not the way the gospel works. These are not entry requirements into the kingdom of God. These are speaking, speaking to people who are a part of the kingdom of God. And he's explaining this is how the kingdom of God works. So when we read these, these are not things to earn or try hard um, and entry points into the kingdom. They're also not timeless truths, right? Because we hear uh, the, the meek will inherit the earth. We're going to look at that here in, here in a little bit. And, and honestly, if we just look around, 
based off the world's economy, the meek don't often inherit the earth, right? So we can't take these as proverbs and say, if I'm really meek, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have pr- uh, pr- profitability. I'm going to flourish just because I'm meek on earth. That's not the way it works. And our experience would tell us that. And once we get into these, we're going to see how quickly these values differ from our cultural's, culture's values. Everything, everything, they're almost opposite of our culture's values, actually. Not just different, but they're opposite. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is flipping everything upside down, flipping everything up on its head. The way we think, what we value, what we love. He's turning all of that on, on, on its head and saying, this is the way the kingdom works. This is the way my kingdom works. And it is radically different from the way our cultural kingdom works. If you just take, if you walk through a, a supermarket and you look at the, uh, the, <coughs> the magazine rack, right? Like if you do that anymore, you just take a glance. Um, what's gonna, what values do you see presented on the front of these magazines? How to look better, how to succeed more, how to do more in less time, how to look beautiful, how to be attractive, how to get this, how to get that. Right? If you look at Instagram or Facebook, they're, they're about kind of putting this image forward. And even the ads that we get on, on Instagram or Facebook are telling us these are the cultural values. You look at Hollywood, the stuff that comes out of Hollywood, this is saying these are the things you should value, culture. This is, this is the, 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 the water that we swim in all the time as human beings. Okay? And I think, um, and this is me, like I, I, I fight hard every day to not like want the things that everything around me is telling me I should want. I should want to look better. I should want to succeed more. I should want more people to like me. These are the things that our culture is saying, come get some of that, consume this, be better, be greater. And as we look through the Beatitudes in a second, I think especially if you spend any time in the church, it's easy because they're familiar to hear these things and be like, yeah, I, I kind of know what the kingdom's like. I'll try really hard to be these things, but oh, that list is so, it's so hard. So I'm just not gonna, and, and I think that we just kind of skip over it and, and not allow it to have its full um, power in our life. And so I think the helpful thing to do is actually to, to start with what the Beatitudes are, are not, what they're not saying. And a pastor and theologian, uh, Ray Ortland, who's a pastor of a church in Nashville, um, a cousin um, of our church through Acts 29. And a few years ago, he put up on the Gospel Coalition's website uh, the, the, a list of American Beatitudes. So if the culture of America was to write their own Beatitudes, this is what it would be. And it'll be um, on the screen. We got that, yeah. American Beatitudes. Listen to this. <clears throat> Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. Okay, so this is the culture we live in, right? And if any, every one of us in this room, I think, is, is tempted into these things, because this is everywhere. This is around us. I fight against these things daily. And so Jesus is, is redefining what it means to flourish. He's redefining what it means to to be happy, and he's doing this in a very subversive way in this sermon. So let's jump in. Matthew 5, verse 3. <clears throat> Jesus says, blessed or, or, or happy or flourishing are 
the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so let's take these words poor in spirit here, okay? Poor in spirit. So poor um, in our country, in, in, in the United States, it's really hard for us to understand what poverty truly is. Because even in our country, the, the poorest of the poor are still at least middle class for the rest of the world. So it's really hard to understand this, this word, but it, it's abject poverty. It's a person who doesn't have the resources at their disposal to get themselves out of poverty. They, they're powerless to do anything about it. So that's what this, this, this word poor means. And, and spirit just means, the, the, not the Holy Spirit there, but just the, the part of us that, that is spirit as human beings. And so what this is saying that um, the, the, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, those who are poor in spirit, those who are, um, p- have a poverty of spirit. We don't have the resources inside of us that are capable of reconciling ourselves to God. We can't reconcile ourselves to God. We don't have the, 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 the resources at our disposal spiritually to make ourselves right with God or receive joy from God or freedom for God. This is the poor in spirit. And Jesus, obviously in his life, cared about the poor in spirit. He spent time with the brokenhearted, the messy, the outcast, those who need help. And you'll notice as we read through these that that you almost have to read them in, in, in backwards order um, and, and say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's, the, that's what we get. And so we have the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, we should be poor in spirit. Okay, so I'll start to use, instead of for there, I may substitute because, because I think that's a better way to read this. So let's look at uh, uh, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn for or because they shall be comforted. Now let's look at this, this, this word mourn, okay? Don't, we shouldn't get, um, overcomplicate this. It, it simply means sad. The deep state of sadness. Those who mourn. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who mourn. They shall be comforted. And I think if you're here and you're not in an, in an acute state of mourning, what do you do with this, right? So if you're not mourning right now, what do we do? Because this is a value of the kingdom. Well, I think... What for us who aren't like maybe personally affected by mourning right now, we need to take a, a, a more somber view of the world. We need to remember that there are horrible, evil things happening every second all over the world. Even when we're here in this country in suburbia, we need to kind of pick our heads out of the sand of suburbia where we're insulated and we're protected from a lot of what's the awful things that are happening in the world. And we need to feel what other people feel who are truly mourning. This is why you should go to third world countries. This is why you should go on mission trips every once in a while. You should get out of the suburbs and go to places where there's a consistent state of mourning. Not just when we lose a loved one or when or we lose a job. I mean, that's an acute state of mourning. But this is a lifetime of mourning that people face. You need to go and look eyeball to eyeball with people. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. And feel what it is like to be mournful. I think keeping up with the news is a start to know what, what's the world really like that we live in. But I think it has to go further than that. We have to empathize. We have to, to, to mourn with those who mourn. Now, I want to say for a minute, those who are here and you are in mourning, you're in an acute stage of mourning. I want to say that you're comforted. The kingdom of God belongs to people like you in your state. You shall be comforted. Jesus draws near to those who mourn. 
right? The, you, you, the, the, the blessed part. So you may say, well, how can it be blessing to be in my situation, to be mourning right now? Why are you blessed? Why can you be happy? Because you're comforted by Jesus through his spirit. He's comforting you. That's why Jesus can say you're blessed are the mourners because you have access in the kingdom to the one who comforts, the one who makes right. When you are most sad, Jesus is most near, right? So you can rest in that. Don't hide it. Don't fake it. Don't try not to mourn. If you're sad, be sad. If you need to cry, cry because Jesus is near to you when you are sad. That's what, it's a reality. It's a value of the kingdom. So mourn. And if you're not mourning right now, empathize and be with those who are, who are mourning. Okay, verse five, blessed are the meek for or because they shall inherit the earth. Again, don't overcomplicate this. Meek means gentle, gentleness, humility, um, having a right and accurate view of oneself. This is meekness. Um, I've heard people and translators say this is kind of like an internal strength or power under control. And that may be true, maybe an indirect kind of correlation to this, but we gotta remember who Jesus is talking to in the original audience. Okay, this, these are poor Jewish people out on the margins of society that are being oppressed by the, one of the mightiest empires that has ever lived, the Romans. And they oppressed the Jews. So to say they had even access to power to, in order to be meek, is, is they didn't have any power. Now, did they have like maybe some internal fortitude or they could have been meek in that way? Sure, but I think this is talking about just humility, gentleness. One pastor said it like this. He says, there's two people in the, two kinds of people in the world when they walk into a room. One person walks into the room and says, says, hey, here I am. And the other person walks into the room and says, oh, there you are, right? And you can see the second one is the meek person. They're not there to be seen or to be noticed. It's not about them. They're deflecting. It's about you. I'm seeing you and I don't hope that you see me. It's having an appropriate view of oneself. And we can just take a quick look at the gospel and see how Jesus was just attracted to the meek. Those who were humble, those who were in need, those who had an accurate view of themselves, who didn't have an accurate view of themselves, the Pharisees. And he was the one that they, he was always angry and, 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 got, and got worked up on the Pharisees because they were not meek. Uh, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or um, be, uh, for or because they shall be satisfied. Those, you will be satisfied if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this makes you blessed. This makes you um, have the ability to flourish. Now, hunger and, righteous, hunger and thirst, two of the strongest human emotions, right? And those are directed at righteousness. Now, this isn't personal righteousness. I think it includes that, but I think primarily it's wanting things to be made right in the world. Seeing things that are wrong, seeing injustice, injustice being done all around us and being like, this is not right. This has to change. This has to change now. And you hunger and thirst for things to be made right in the world. And this is, this is an active term. This isn't a passive term. Like, oh, I just kind of hope that things will be made right and I'll, I'll just pray for that. No, you're active about uh, fighting issues of injustice that are happening all around us. We're messy people living in a messy world that are pleading with God and acting to make things right in our world. This is a value of the kingdom inside of ourselves, obviously, but also in the world. Now, these two um, are back to back, meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I didn't pick up on this until this week, but uh, many commentators think it's, it's intentional that Jesus puts these two back to back. 
because of the tension that they create. And here's what I mean. If you just take meekness, what's the world's, like how does the world view meekness? Not, not good. You're a doormat. You're never going to get anywhere. You're going to get walked all over. You're too nice. You're weak. Like that's the, that's the world's definition of meekness. On the flip side, what's the world's definition of hunger and thirsting for righteousness? Now, this isn't the righteousness of God. This is the righteousness of whatever that person thinks is righteous. Well, it's the person who, who gets ahead, who's type A, who works hard, who fights to make it to the top, who, who pulls themselves up and makes themselves somebody. And the world says, yes, that's, a, that's good. That's a good person. That's a successful person. So if the world looks at these two things, they're total opposites. But they can't be opposites in the Beatitudes. So they have to fit together. And here's what this means, I think, as, as these, we keep these two things in tension as we leave, live in the kingdom. Here's a couple examples. I think this is easier to see as we played this out in a few examples. So this week, um, abortion has come back into the news, right, with, with Alab- the stuff going on in Alabama. And here's the way I think we can approach abortion as followers of Jesus, right? So, so take the meek piece. We approach someone who's maybe abortion-minded or who, who is fighting to... to, <coughs> to um, push laws that are for abortion. Um, here's how we could approach it. If you're meek, you know what? I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know what got you into this place. I don't know what kind of baggage you have. You know, I've got baggage. I, I make mistakes all the time. I am not perfect. I need God's grace every day for him to continue to accept me. And I fail all the time. And that's the way, that's the posture. That's how we move towards someone who is maybe on the other side of abortion against us. That's, there's the meek. But the hunger and thirst for righteousness is, but what, what you're fighting for, what you're about to do is not right. It's evil. It's sinful. It's taking the life of another human being. And we, we can't do that. We gotta repent because that's not right. That's not gonna lead to flourishing. It's taking another person's life, but it's also not gonna lead you to flourishing either, even though right now it feels like it may lead to flourishing, but it won't lead to flourishing. And you see how the tension there of meekness moves towards the person in love to hear them, but you don't budge on what God's view of righteousness is. You take racism as another example. You come up to a a, a person who's a racist and it's clear they are. Hey, I don't know what your story is, I don't know who you've been hurt by in the past. I don't know how you were brought up and how you were taught from a really early age to be a racist more than likely. Um, and I don't know that. And, and, and I, wanna, I wanna understand you. And I, 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 I hate, have hate in my heart all the time for people. And I have to repent. And I have to work through that with God. But what you're saying to people based off just their skin color is evil. It's hateful. There's no place for it. It's causing hate in you, which is not gonna cause you to flourish. And it's also damaging that other person who has a different skin color than you. And it's not allowing them to flourish in life either. So stop it. It's sinful, repent. So you see, as we keep these two things in tension, as we walk in this world, I think we're gonna have to do this. I think this is a skill that we're gonna have to learn to do as followers of Jesus in the world we live in. If you're too much on the meek side, you're just going to kind of be nice to everyone and, and, and there's not going to have to be ever any hard conversations and the truth will never be brought to the table. But if you're the, 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 um, the, the, the bullhorn 
always just pounding the righteousness drum over here, no one can hear your meekness. No one can hear how much you need God's grace as well. And the gospel will never have a place to take root in that person's life if you're not also meek. So we need both of those kept in tension, I think, as we, as we work through um, our lives. And this happens inside the church too, right? Like, like we, we, as we live in community, hey, I'm, I'm, we need to like help each other with, with growing and calling out sin and stuff. And I'm all for that, but we have to do that with a posture of meekness. Hey, when, when I'm failing, when I have a blind spot, I want you to speak to me. But right now, here's what I'm seeing in you. Here's what I'm observing. Here's what's going on. And I think, I think we got to change this. Like, I think there may be some sin involved here. And that's, as we get close together as a family, we can do that kind of stuff. And it's healthy if there's a meekness and a hunger and thirsting for righteousness that are kept in tension. Okay, let's go to the next one. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful for or because they shall receive mercy. Very straightforward. We've been forgiven much as followers of Jesus. Therefore, we should forgive much. We don't deserve any good gift, any good gift that we are given from God, especially our salvation. Therefore, we shouldn't withhold mercy from others. And Jesus teaches on this a lot, usually involving money and debtors, paying back debts and being forgiven, those kinds of things. Jesus teaches on this all the time. This is not just being nice girls and nice guys. Yeah, these, these Christians are nice. That's not what this means. This is, this is giving someone something like forgiveness when it actually costs you something. It's sacrificial. Um, one pastor that I was listening to this week compared it to a, a, a nurse at a nursing home or a, a, a nurse that works in hospice care. Hard job, thankless job, painful job, dirty job, a job that doesn't give anything. You don't get any girls or boys in that job, but they give of themselves all the time. Just give mercy, give mercy, give mercy, probably never getting anything in return. That was a good illustration of what does it look like to be merciful. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart for or because they shall see God. This is the next one. Pure in heart. They're, it's the, the heart and the behavior line up. The internal and the external match up. There's congruency. There's integration between how we live and what we think and what we feel in our motivations. Classic example of this in the scriptures, the Pharisees. He, Jesus, in one of those rants he went on, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs because on the outside, your behavior was sparkling. It looked good. You guys were the religious elite. But it's like a, it's like a glass of water where this nice, beautiful, marble white cup and you took a drink of it and it was sewage water inside of it. Because what was on the inside of that cup was disgusting. It was sinful. That's why he uses whitewashed tombs. Because what's on the inside of a tomb? A decaying, smelly, dead corpse. But on the outside, the tombs look really nice. They're meant to look nice. So we can, and this is what Jesus is getting at right here. The congruency of their external life and their internal life were not matching up. This is being hypocritical. Like if we, if we know we're sinful, so let's not pretend we're not sinful. Let's lean on the grace of Jesus and be humble as we live this life and say, you know what, I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna try to live the way Jesus wants me to do, but I'm also gonna fail. And there's, so there's some humility with like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a sin- I'm a sinner on the inside and I'm a sinner on the outside. And I need Jesus in both places. That's congruency. That's how to get those things lined up. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for or because they shall be called sons of God. Being called, sons of, being called sons of God, we've been welcomed into his family. Therefore, we should be peacemakers. And when we're peacemakers, we will be blessed or we will flourish. What's a peacemaker? This is an absence of conflict. This isn't a passive word. This is an active, this is an active term. 
This is someone who moves into conflict and brings reconciliation. This isn't someone who avoids conflict or sweeps it under the rug. And who was the better model of this than Jesus, right? Like he went head on and, and took on all of God's wrath for human beings that could not do it themselves. Peace was not going to be made between sinful human beings and a holy God if it wasn't for the peacemaking of Jesus. He modeled this. He moved in. It cost him something. It cost him nearly everything. He died for it in a humiliating way so that we might be brought near to God. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. On the night of his arrest, Peter whips out the sword, cuts the guy's ear off, which Jesus say, Peter, this is not the way it's going to work, right? Put your sword up. I, I haven't, I've, I've come at this moment to be a peacemaker. War will come later at the end. Right now it's peace. Right now I'm not bringing war. I'm not fighting war here. I'm, 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 I'm creating peace between God and man. And Peter didn't see that in the moment. This also happens, I think, a little closer to home with, with, in marriages and in our relationships within the church. If you have something against someone, there is conflict inside of you. And the thing to do is to move towards that person and be a peacemaker and be a reconciler. That person has no idea potentially that, you're, that you have hate towards them or you're, you're bitter against them. So you're just storing up this, this, this hate and this conflict. And what this is saying is, no, that, that's, that's, that's conflict. That's not being a peacemaker. Peacemaker moves towards a person you have something against and actually say, hey, I have something against you. We need to talk about this because you want to be a peacemaker and let that other person give a chance to come into the conversation when they may not even know what you're feeling inside. So this isn't just... Um, kind of active conflict that we can see. This is also conflict inside your heart and your soul. Verses 10, 11, and 12, they go together, kind of talking about the same idea. Blessed or happy are those who are persecuted uh, uh, for righteousness' sake, for or because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for or because your reward is great in heaven. For or because they, they, so they persecuted, persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are similar, talking about persecution. Um, and for, for us, this is hard to get our mind around, right? Like we, we don't understand if you've lived in this, this country your whole life, you probably haven't faced a lot of persecution. So this one's the hardest one, I think, to truly put, our, put ourselves in the midst of. But if you've been around uh, Christians in other countries who are getting persecuted all the time and this is their life, the motivation for them, if you talk to them, it is all about heaven. They know that they have the kingdom of God and their reward is great in heaven because they have nothing here on earth. I mean, they could die at any moment. So to do what they just be, to be a Christian in that country, they have to have their a sing, singular focus on heaven. Like my reward's great in heaven. Therefore, if someone to, wants to kill me and, and cut my head off, then they can cut my head off because my reward is great in heaven. And I wonder how, how much of our issues and our problems and our sinful patterns and behaviors, if those would move to the side, if we just thought and dwelt more on our reward that is great in heaven. Now, I do think this word revile is helpful for us because I do think if we live this list, if we're actually living out the values of the kingdom, that all the ones we looked at, I think we're going to be weird. We're going to be odd. The Bible describes us as aliens anyway. And so I think there will be some reviling. There's going to be some being, being made fun of. You're going to get some things said to you that are, that are hard. It might not be violent, but it may make you feel bad. It may make you feel disapproved of. 
Christianity at the beginning was, was a, this outcast band of people that the world didn't really want anything to do with in the first century. Um, Christians, that term, they, they, it was little Christs. And that was a derogatory term. These little Christs doing their thing. That was, a, that was a derogatory term in the first century under the Roman Empire. So for us, and I think Christianity to try to make, to make, us, to make it cool, to make it hip, to make it relevant, to try to connect with all these things, I think that is, is mind-boggling to try to be cool when this whole list is saying you're not going to be cool. The kingdom isn't cool to this world. So why are we trying to make repackaging Christianity and trying to make it cool for the world? It's not that we shouldn't be attractive. We should be attractive. We should be attractive for the right things. We should be attractive for caring for mourners. We should be attractive for caring for the poor in spirit. We should, be, we should be attracted because we, we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We should, be, we should be attracted because we're peacemakers. Not because we're cool or we, 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 I mean, like, no, we shouldn't be about those things. That's not what made Jesus attractive. I think one of our issues when we look at this list is we feel so compelled to turn this into a list and to put little check boxes by it and start trying to check these off as virtues because we don't, we don't feel these things very often. Like we, again, we, we, can, we can protect ourselves from a lot of the things on this list or to avoid them and not feel what it feels like to mourn all the time or to be poor in spirit all the time. And so we end up trying really, really hard to be these things. Instead, Jesus is saying, this is just a reality of the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, just know that this is the reality of the kingdom. And don't, don't turn this into a list in order to get blessed by God. You're already blessed because you're in the kingdom. And that is why these things have blessings attached to it, because you're in the kingdom. Uh, one pastor called kind of this, this, this culture we live in as successism um, or the, the, um, the winner's script. Like in life, we're told, especially if we come from privilege and we live in this country, we have access to things that will allow us to flourish. We're supposed to get a good education, get a job, which will lead to a better job, which will lead to a better job, which will lead to more pay, more status, more success, which then will allow us to have nicer cars as years go by, and nicer houses, be able to upgrade, 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 upgrade our trajectory, and then retire as early as we can and live out our days enjoying what we want to enjoy. Like, that, like that's the script for most of us who grew up, that was the script for me as I grew up. And so this doesn't look, this does, that doesn't match well with the Beatitudes. It just doesn't. That script is not what Jesus is saying here will lead to the blessed, the flourishing life. And I think the, a lot of the issues with people who've come, tried to come into the church and maybe even profess faith the last 30 years is they've been attracted to the church with things that are similar to the culture, success, health, wealth, prosperity. If you connect yourselves to Jesus, you'll get the things of the American dream. And I think that's when, in that, when that doesn't happen, when church stops working, you're gone. And I question if those people were ever really saved because they never heard the true gospel. Um, and so we have to be careful about this script that most of us grew up hearing that this is the way to flourishing. And that is not what Jesus is saying. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive after good jobs or, you know, make good money. It's not saying this, but if that's the script of your life, if that's the values of your kingdom, I don't think you're going to find freedom and joy in Jesus. Okay? Because most, I've mentioned this last week, but most um, signs and measures of a, of a happy, content, flourishing people in a society, we, we don't hit those things. Like we're, anxiety, depression, suicide, 
over-medication. All of these things point to showing something inside of us isn't, isn't happening. We're not experiencing those things, right? So, and we have all access to all these things. We have access to the script, but something's missing here, okay? Because we buy into the, the, the culture values of the American dream rather than the values of the kingdom. So, what do we do? I want to close this. What do we do going, if this isn't a virtue list, if this isn't, hey, a list, I'm going to send you, I go do these nine things and just, you know, grade yourselves on them. It's not what I'm saying, but what do we do? I think the first thing is to look at Jesus, right? Like take the list away for a second. Just focus on Jesus. Rest in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus by his grace and you are in the kingdom, all of these things are yours. You have them. Okay, so now it's just a matter of understanding these are the values of the kingdom and we walk in them. We've been brought into the kingdom by grace. We should, so we should, we should look to our master, look to our king now, and we should be reflectors of him. We should be mimickers of him. When people see us, they should see, to some degree, reflections of Jesus. And these are the values of his kingdom. And as we, over time, over a long period of time, as we continue to focus on Jesus, spend time with Jesus, strive to know Jesus deeper, I think these values will become um, ours in our life because they are the values of the kingdom and we are being formed more into his image. Let's pray. Father, once again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, this sermon, the fact that the sermon of Jesus is in the scripture for us to see what he values, to see what he wants from us. He wants human beings to flourish, not the flourishing that the world would tell us leads to flourishing, but a flourishing that is defined in scripture. And we've seen those things on this list today, the things that lead to flourishing, the things that cause a world to flourish the kingdom to flourish are these things. So help us. Help us understand the values of your kingdom. Help us keep our sights set on you. And I pray that through your spirit, we don't have any hope without your spirit, through your spirit that you would help us be the kind of people that have these values because we're in your kingdom. Not so that we can enter your kingdom, not so we can work hard to try to be accepted by you, but that because we've been accepted by you and we've been loved by you, we can now live out the values of your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.